passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting on this Friday, June the 18th. And Wei, I think we can give this show its own title for today. And it's a title that we can only give if it applies to both of us. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Double Shot. Double Shot. Okay. All Way right. and I, two shots deep, we're in the clear. Oh, you got your second shot too? Yes. Oh, wow. I had no idea. When did you book it? Uh, I got on a waiting list this morning. They called me within 10 minutes. And said, no get way. over here. And I got over there, and I got my second shot way. Oh, fantastic. Wow, congratulations, man. You just got it today. Literally got put on a wait list, and within 10 minutes, got a phone call that I did not recognize the number and almost let it go to voicemail. I am so happy I answered this phone call. And that I, is... Dude, I, it's pouring rain out. I got my ass over there as quickly as I could. Boom, stabbed me. I'm very oh. excited. I, I I've been on a high for three hours now. Well, well, let, let's hope it's it's just that type of high. Are you feeling any other effects? None so far. But I I don't care. Whatever happens in the next twenty four hours, it's fine. Give me give me a headache. Give me give me flu like symptoms. I don't care. I don't care what comes my way in the next twenty four hours. I, there's not going to be a peep of complaining out of me because I had to keep up with you. I mean, look at you just at the front of modern medicine here in Toronto. So how could we move forward if we were not on the same level of protection? Well, um, I'm happy to hear it and, and really happy to hear more and more people, you know, getting fully vaccinated in the city. Um, so that means we're that much closer to, I guess, um, maybe podcasting in the same room at some point. Ladies and gentlemen, the post reunion, the live post reunion with us and the extended family, the Toronto chapter it's going to happen. I can see it happening now. This... First the patios, then haircuts, and then live podcasts. For the last year and a half way, I've kept here in my office a full bottle of J.R. Ewing bourbon. And I've said many a time, when we all get the Post family together, that bourbon's opening, okay? J.R. Ewing bourbon that I have not opened for years. It's my last bottle. And it's for all of us. Oh, wow. But when we all get our second shot, maybe a third shot and a fourth shot. And a fourth oh, shot very much so. But we have uh, a bit of news to discuss ahead of tonight's doubleheader, our final Friday doubleheader, which after several weeks, I'm okay to kind of scale back from. I, I'm enjoying the Wednesdays. I'm not going to lie. I like that gap in the middle of the week, which we will uh, not be uh, filling next week because we got 
the Friday Saturday combo next weekend before Dynamite returns to Wednesday, June thirtieth. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, no matter what, it's like we we won't have um the Wednesday wrestling, and that's you, you're right. It's been somewhat enjoyable, but I'm I'm ready to go back to our normal schedule. You know, stacking everything towards the end of the week. Nobody wants to stay up late on a Friday doing work. Well, we will be doing that anyway, and we'll be adding a third hour in August. So really, it's just we're going to add the Wednesday and Friday combination, basically. However, tonight we have a shift in WWE's uh, lineups because the Hell in a Cell match between Roman Reigns and Rey Mysterio, it's not going to see Rey avenging his son on Father's Day. He's going to do it on Friday. He's going to clear out his weekend schedule. They're going to do the Hell in a Cell match tonight. Um, this just announced on Thursday. So obviously a late change that they made uh, for uh, whatever reasoning it was. Obviously there was a storyline or logistical implication that they are moving it up uh, two nights. I don't think it really matters. I mean, it's um, they're doing it for some reason. Um, it's a little odd, but I would just question are enough people going to be aware that you can fully benefit from promoting a Hell in a Cell on free television? How many people will be aware on 24 hours notice as opposed to if they had made this decision by Monday and you could at least plug it on all the spots throughout Raw and the week? We'll, we'll see. We'll see if this leads to any kind of um, jump or, or increase for SmackDown. Yeah, I imagine it wasn't really an ideal situation. You know, I'm sure otherwise they would have promoted it uh, as far as ahead as they could have the first time having a Hell in a Cell match on a SmackDown, on Fox. It's it's a pretty big deal, in my opinion. And, you know, the fact that they're doing it right now is such last minute. I imagine they are up against something or they have something, some sort of weird finish plan to lead up into Sunday. Um, so... You know, I don't know if I'm necessarily curious about seeing the actual match itself or maybe just not wanting to get my hopes up that I'll see any sort of clean finish. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I, anything can happen. Yeah, I guess it's it's by far the most interesting aspect of tonight's show. And if it sets up something else for Sunday or if they're just going to wrap this up on Friday, like for whatever reason, we'll probably have a clearer sense after tonight's show, but it's it's a pretty busy SmackDown because at least as of now, um, they're also advertising Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz against Kevin Owens and Big E. The battle for the crown between Shinsuke Nakamura and King Corbin. And of course, they better have slotted uh, multiple segments for Angelo Dawkins versus Otis. So what a power packed edition of SmackDown. Well, at least we have what, four matches, four matches that, announced. That feels unusual. Yes. Uh, Chad Gable could get any of them canceled, though, on a moment's notice during a backstage promo. So we will find out uh, what makes the cut. Maybe we will get all four of them tonight. But uh, a more interesting episode of SmackDown, I would say, with the addition of this Hell in a Cell and whatever it sets up. Because with the elimination of that Hell in a Cell match, we are down to four matches on the card for Sunday. And as always, WWE has all of these floating programs that it's not exactly moving heaven and earth to just round out the lineup with some late additions. I mean, they always have these ongoing programs that you can either pay off at the pay-per-view or on television. So I would imagine they plop something else on Sunday's show. But the big match is now Lashley and Drew McIntyre with one Hell in a Cell. I would imagine we get something else as well. Four seems pretty light, even by the modern WWE pay-per-view standard. So I'll, we'll have a clearer picture after tonight. 
Dynamite is another taped show from Daly's Place, and our card, we've got the MMA Rules cage fight between Jake Hager and Wardlow. Wardlow making his professional MMA debut. Will this officially be recognized on uh, Sherdog and... Tapology uh, and MMA.TV? I, I don't know if this will make it onto their record or not. Uh, we will see. I'm curious to see how they... The, the, the actual presentation of this and how how legitimate they try and make it come across. Like, do we, uh, maybe they'll bring in Josh Rosenthal from warrior. Oh, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and they'll play, maybe, maybe Tony, uh, was busy landing some rights and we're going to get the national. Wow. Okay. Perhaps that would be quite the reference. Um, and just hours before they reveal that Wardlow is actually, uh, an AWOL soldier. That is Jake Hager's brother. Wow, yeah. Could that happen? Could I Nick think Nolte the, be in the crowd? The 30 people who are listening to this who may have seen that film, I think will appreciate all those references. But um, I'm curious to see like what AEW's presentation of you know what essentially will be a shoot-style match will look like. Um, sometimes these things can turn out terribly. Or maybe, you know, maybe they have a great idea and this will turn out great. We'll see. Two-on-one handicap match, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page versus Darby Allin. Cody Rhodes, the uh, the new father. I mean, John Moxley only had that title in AEW for less than a week, and now Cody Rhodes, the newest uh, father in AEW. Him and Brandy having a, a baby girl earlier today. Cody Rhodes will team with Brock Anderson to take on QT Marshall and Aaron Solo. Cesar Bononi versus Orange Cassidy and Julia Hart versus Penelope Ford. I wouldn't say the most outstanding lineup of dynamite cards we have seen. I mean, it seems par for the course for these Friday slash, you know. Well, I think the difference will be next week with the Saturday show. But these ones... Well, Saturday's the a big one. Saturday's a big one. The, their, their biggest match in several weeks. At least yeah. it's blood and guts, I would say. Yeah, these ones um, on the Fridays really have been somewhat lackluster. But, you know, it, I think they understand that these ratings aren't going to be very strong. Um, and maybe they're just gearing towards the live events in front of the crowds to really kind of pique the audience again. Um, there, were, there was a story uh, from The Observer this week that MLW has opted out of its deal with DAZN. Uh, it was a year ago that they announced this deal with DAZN, and you did see some of their past shows uh, pop up on DAZN, and the deal was going to include live events. Those obviously did not happen, uh, given the circumstances of the past year. And it seems like MLW had, um, within this first year that they... To, or at least at the end of the first year, could opt out of this. And that's what it sounds like they have done. Court Bauer has teased that they are in negotiations regarding their library and, I guess, details to follow. But, I mean, with DAZN, DAZN just seems like a um, a streaming service that spent ungodly amounts of money. Uh, you have seen a lot of hires recently by WWE of DAZN personnel. And I think you're certainly looking at DAZN at least in terms of its uh, domestic footprint, uh, being greatly hampered by all of these giants that have emerged as kind of the pillars of the streaming world. Where does a DAZN fit? Maybe it's more so an international play for DAZN, but I just, I don't know. It just feels from afar that DAZN seems like something that is um, uh, far from where they were several years ago, where they were seemed to be in a, in a growth phase and not to say MLW leaving is, you know, the doom and gloom for DAZN to be on its deathbed, but more so just a look at 
you know, just a grander conversation of what the future of the zone is going to be with all of their problems on the boxing front and, you know, with, with people leaving the company too. I'm not really all that privy to some of the, you know, boxing or MMA dealings that they have going on or really anything with the other sports. You know, I think my perspective is that we perhaps all thought that it would be a bigger player in the wrestling space. And, you know, MLW was the closest that they, they got to it. And evidently, maybe not a solution that seemed to work out, at least from MLW's perspective right now. So they have a lot of other places that they're airing their shows on. And yeah, so hopefully they can get that library. I mean, you got the sense like with, with Bellator, like they they got a lot of money from zone, but then that deal came up and they're no longer on zone. They're now back with, with Showtime. But that was kind of their biggest footprint when it came to MMA. September the 11th, uh, Saturday night, September 11th, is going to be Oscar De La Hoya versus Vitor Belfort as Triller is coming back. And this will be their marquee headlining fight. It looks like they're going to make a weekend out of it with a music festival attached to it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um... That's all I needed to know. That, I just wanted to see your reaction. If it was going to be a, what? Whoa. Awesome. The I mean, reaction was, hmm, okay. You know, like with these types of the publicity fights, I mean, I think that initial reaction is everything you're looking for. And I can't really say, you know, Oscar nor Vitor, nor the the curiosity of seeing Vitor in a boxing match. Um, I don't think that that strikes me as any sort of interest. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sad to say, but be more interested in seeing a YouTube star, you know, step into a completely foreign sport against um somebody who's actually experienced i i'm i mean i'm sure there there are going to be fans of of oscar that'll probably want to see this guy come back and have this sort of match but um i don't know how much mainstream crossover appeal it might have yeah it's it's almost been 13 years since oscar last fought this is only going to be a boxing exhibition so i mean this isn't you know your your full-on um rule set um, it's, it's very much to me balanced on, on Oscar. And I think that you're looking at Triller and again, here's, here's another group that has spent, uh, enormous amounts of money. Um, you know, they had Mike Tyson. It seems like those two sides are very much at odds. They have lost Jake Paul, who has now gone to Showtime. So th- it's like, what, what is Triller going to be? And I think that with each, you know, there's going to be an appetite for these types of fights, but it is going to be diminishing returns. This one is very much weighted upon Oscar De La Hoya. I don't know if Vitor Belfort, beyond your curiosity, MMA buys, is going to be sparking interest among the fan base that a thriller has to tap into to justify some of the costs of these to, to make it worth their while. So, I mean, this is going to be the next experiment. And I think, like this past weekend, you had that uh, Lamar Odom... Aaron Carter fight that dude no one no one talked about this and it's just you're going to see so many of these copycats there's going to be the ones that work and the ones that fail spectacularly and I think that you know the Paul brothers have a unique a unique insight into the curiosity of of bands that they're they are able to draw upon that but I think even that it's it's going to be tough to do over the long term um, especially if the Paul brothers start losing or the, or people just move on. Like it's a, it's this kind of popularity. It has a very short shelf life and you got to cash in while it's there because it's, it's not going to be a long-term thing. I don't think. 
No, I agree. I agree. And I think that's what Triller's trying to do. You know, unfortunately, you, man, we're talking about the Paul brothers as if they're some sort of like great, you know, combat sports, um, uh, I don't know, uh, legends right now. But I, I'm sure if you're a Triller, you'd be wishing for a, a Paul brother fight every single month. Uh, John Orrand at Sports Business Journal reported that UFC 263 this past weekend did a reported uh, 500,000 buys domestically and an extra 100,000 internationally. So 600,000 for Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori, uh, plus the return of Nate Diaz. I think those would be your, your key factors. So UFC, I mean, that's a that's a very healthy number. And UFC, especially for their pay, their pay-per-views have been on fire from buys to instant sellouts. And I think that the expectation should be that much higher for 264 in a couple of weeks with Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. They did 1.6 million back in January. I think they topped that figure. It's the first show back in Vegas with a full capacity crowd. There's going to be a ton of promotion on that fight. There's the big interest of, you know, if Conor McGregor loses this fight, what does that mean for his career? It's there's a lot Thriller. of uh, Triller could be um, it, it, Triller is always there, uh, though. Will it always be there, I guess, is another uh, question. But I I see that card doing very, very high. I think it could flirt with $2 million. Like, it's my my ceiling for a UFC pay-per-view is is very high, given the amount of buys they're doing on a, on a consistent basis. The ultimate question is, will you be watching that fight on July the 10th? Yeah, you know, I, I think it'll be a, a call during the day to see, you know, what else I got, I've got going on. But I definitely probably will check it out at some point. I mean, if you say you yes, know, I'm going two million buys. <laughs> I do actually feel like this one will be somewhat significant because I think I could see a lot of people going out to the bars, you know, for the first time in a long time. That's right. Yeah, this one. So, you know, I don't know what what Pro- probably in, so- in Canada is like granted Canada is not the U.S., but I mean, our like in the U.S., you can probably go to a lot of bars right now. In Canada, that's just opening up, and that's going to be another avenue. I'll tell you, if they had been able, Triller, to put that proposed fight of Oscar De La Hoya and George St. Pierre together, I think that would have been pretty goddamn big. I think so, too. That's a far more attractive fight, at least in Canada, I'm sure. Maybe you know across the world as well. Like That, to me, at least has some sort of... Mm, you know, appeal of who you want to win and who you want to lose. Oscar and Vitor, I just, I don't think, not that you're even going to get a winner and a loser in these sort of exhibition things. Uh, that's true. There, there's no promise of that. Uh, one other uh, pro wrestling slash MMA story, and that was from the PFL on Thursday night. Uh, MLW wrestler and New Japan strong openweight champion Tom Lawler, he defeated Jordan Young by unanimous decision, uh, which gave him three points, but not enough to qualify for the playoff portion of their light heavyweight uh, division. And after the fight, the decision was read and he left his gloves uh, in the in the cage and walked off. So indicating it looks to have been his retirement. And Tom Lawler is someone that is to me like um, it's unfortunate, but a big part of his MMA story is going to be someone that was really done wrong by USADA. This was, you know, he he had fought up the light heavyweight rankings. Um, he moved up from middleweight, knocking out John Volante, and then fought, you know, a fairly close fight with Corey Anderson. And then in the fall of 2016, he did an out-of-competition test with USADA, and there was a trace amount of Austrian in his system that he was, you know, this was someone that, was very concerned about tainted supplements. So for a year and a half prior, he was not taking supplements and he was 
trying to search for any explanation of how this Austrian got into his system, looking at, you know, an energy drink that he could have had. He had like this, this coffee drink tested that came back negative and just didn't have any plausible explanation. He gets two years thrown at him as a sanction. And then right before the two years is up is cut by the UFC today. USADA has greatly evolved its stance with regards to Austrian, where they acknowledge that these trace amounts are popping up and he's not getting any more than six months if this were to happen today. But he was the fall guy in in that story. And it was it left, you know, you could we've talked to Tom Lawler about it. It's it greatly affected him. Uh, This was someone that, you know, from my experiences with him and just seeing a lot of his Uh, statements on the matter with regards to drug testing over the years is someone that had a very high ethical compass. So this greatly harmed in his mind, his, his reputation that he was attached to this. It, it to me was the perfect example of USADA overstepping and, you know, the goal of any anti-drug testing program, it should not be to weed out the Tom Lawlers of the sport. You want more Tom Lawlers in the sport. And it, it took out a giant chunk of his career. Uh, he did come back. He fought on that golden boy card a number of years ago, and then signed with PFL, uh, to join their season this year, uh, competing at light heavyweight. So, uh, if this is the end of his career, I mean, th- this was someone that, you know, came up I- in the ultimate fighter in 2008 and then fought on that UFC 100 card. Um, got, even got a performance of the night bonus on, on that card. So, Someone that, you know, fought a lot of high competition at 185 pounds and then uh, at 205 as well. And, you know, of course, has the connection to professional wrestling through what he's doing now. An awesome, awesome way to go out, you know, like somebody choosing to do it on them by themselves and going out on a win uh, at that. Um, you know, we, we also, of course, have to mention his incredible entrances for um, several of his weigh-ins. I I think one of my favorite memories of ever covering combat sports was being in Montreal and seeing this dude come out, me sitting with you and Arda Ocal as he comes out dressed up as the shock master, which nobody else except the few of us. And I think Errol Holani appreciated it. Was I think it was like our amazing. row and we were like, how many people get this reference in this room? <laughs> Very few, I imagine, but it was it was incredible. And some of the ones I was at another card in Montreal uh, back in May of 2010. That's when he came out as Dan Severn. Um, I mean, he just had so many that he came out with and it set him apart. It was, um, you know, he was somebody that just, I think, understood that, hey, I am one of hundreds of fighters on this roster. I'm going to use my window to leave an impression on people. And I think he certainly was able to do that with a lot of his entrances. But I mean, don't take it away. Like this was a really, you know, a quality fighter. Um, when you look at the, at the names that he was able to beat, this is someone who holds wins over Patrick Cote, Jason McDonald. I mean, he certainly had it out for Canadians, um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, you know, someone I, that. As far as credibility, like he brings so much of it to the world of professional wrestling that, I mean, a handful, really not, like, less than a handful probably can also bring. And I, I, I feel like he, he'd be able to not just parlay that into, a, you know, his continued success as a wrestler, but as a broadcaster and as a commentator, you know, in either sport. I remember when it was the U- UFC 158 where he did the Shockmaster um, at entrance at the weigh-ins that earlier in the week, 
uh, we were there doing a bunch of like pre-fight interviews with the guys and Tom Waller came in with his team and they had just driven up. And I remember right before the interview, he gets down and he's doing push-ups to get set for the interview with us. And then one of us made some WWE remark. And I think my follow-up was about something from Raw the, the last night. And he just responds stating, oh, yeah, I haven't caught up yet. I haven't watched it yet. And this is before I understood, like, how closely he still followed it. Uh, because he wasn't doing, like, he wasn't doing anything with the Observer yet. And then I think we, we just, like, clicked automatically there. And and then it, he ended up, you know, doing some guest spots on, on our show, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Before, of course, you know, joining uh, the Wrestling Observer website mm-hmm. and doing podcasts with uh, Brian Alvarez. So mm-hmm. and 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 now becoming you know a star on his own in, in professional wrestling. So I look forward to seeing where the career goes. Last thing we're going to touch on is the Vice documentary that aired on Thursday night. Uh, not a dark side of the ring. Rather, this was uh, its own separate branding uh, as part of its Vice Versa series, looking at Joni China Lauer. And it was how much of this did you get to see way? I got to see, I would say the good, like probably the first half. And then um, I, I definitely was still feeling a bit of fatigue from my second shot. And so I was kind of dozing in and out towards the end, but from what I saw and I saw pretty much like most of the ending as well, uh, were, which is probably maybe the more mm-hmm. mm, interesting, maybe topics of conversation here, but um, it looked really good from what I saw. It's a it's a very sad look at the final years of of China's life, and it's kind of we jump from the timeline back and forth of her entering wrestling, coming up in wrestling, and then the fallout after she leaves the company in two thousand one, juxtaposed with modern day, where you know it's someone that is very much trying to get her life in order. This includes picking up everything and going to Japan for several years where she becomes a school teacher and then coming back to the U.S. And it seems largely like they explain it later that she had like immigration um, restrictions to stay in Japan and had to come back. Meanwhile, you have this documentary film crew that is following her around and it just becomes uncomfortable at certain points where it just felt like, like I, I don't want to speak about what the relationship was here. Obviously, there was um, uh, a kinship here, but it just felt like at times like Joni is just a prop as she is just shuffled around the country and put into these very difficult emotional situations from going to the graveyard of her father that she had you know a strained relationship with to reconnecting with her mother with the insinuation or the request that this reunion after 27 years or so be done on camera and going to revisit a lot of traumatic issues in in her life um going back go, showing up at WWE headquarters and just all this other stuff and I think you really feel for her that here's a woman that was lost and did not have a support system around her and I found that to be really tragic of just how her life ended and was someone that appeared to have a very good heart, but made a lot of unfortunate decisions in her life and was plagued by, by drug addiction. Um, it's, it's a very sad story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen some of those scenes that you had mentioned, but you know, like the, the most of this documentary is uh, not just a, a retelling of her history, but also a lot of uh, footage that they had filmed of her for this documentary that was never released. 
Um, so most of it was never before seen, but you know, it, it also turned into a story of her documentarians, you know, having pretty, you know, being pretty close to her, uh, up until the moment of her death. And, um, yeah, very difficult to see, very difficult to see, you know, her wrapped up with these people, um, towards the end. I mean, it's the, it's the documentary film crew that finds her Mm -hmm. when she's, when she's died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you t there's this guy Eric who basically kind of like just, you know, talks about the last interview that she he did with her and it turns out he was addicted to heroin as well. Uh and if you see this footage from this final interview, it it is just awful. The last person this the last thing this person needed at that point was a camera in her face. Um, you know, I don't know for what reason. I certainly didn't me really feel like there were it, it was really being all that helpful. Whatever their intentions were, it came off very exploitive where they all can see this, this woman has a problem and this, you know, whatever their sense was that this is somehow therapy or help, it was not. And it just felt uncomfortable how this all had to be played out um, with, with like an audience in mind that this is great content. This is a woman that is literally falling apart in front of your eyes. Um, and it's all kind of, God, the person running all this is her manager uh, by the name of Anthony Anzaldo, who is a prominent um, speaking uh, figure in the documentary. And I just I, I just don't see how you can't have this enormous sympathy for Joni that this woman needed grave help. And it did appear that her sister, Kathy, was someone that got her at least into the door at rehab. But that only lasts about 10 or 15 minutes before Joni storms out and excommunicates her sister from her life. Um, mm. You know, this is someone that pushed a lot of people away, but it's like you can understand like she was under you know, she, she was not under, I think, great circumstances. Like this is a woman whose life felt broken and seemed very much shattered from the loss of this former career as China that she identified as. And I think it's one of those tales you look at where the individual very much becomes that character and identifies as that. And you see this a lot in show business and people who their identity is their, is their on air persona, whether it's in television, in radio, there's countless examples. And when that's taken away, what are you? And I think she had a large hole in her life when she did not have China from this worldwide celebrity at the peak of the company during the attitude era. It's only, it's only four years she's in WWF, but is a pretty enduring figure to those. And her life just is spiraling out of control. There were some very uncomfortable scenes, like an appearance on Howard Stern, where she just appears to be a mess. Um, and that's, you know, you look at just the, the coverage of celebrities and yeah, I, I think you summed it up perfectly. This was a woman that did not need a camera in her face. And yet all these places, they could not help, but turn that red light on to look at this, um, this woman that was falling and falling. I think you have to consider the circumstances in which she was, you know, essentially ousted from the company too. You know, just, of course they, they go right into the whole Paula Beck relationship and, and the whole Stephanie um, affair that ultimately, you know, this person was caught between having her heart broken and having to continue to work in the company that your ex is in along with the boss's daughter that he had the affair with. 
Um, so what a terrible situation. And beyond that, of course, they own the IP, so she couldn't be herself. And you're also talking about the tail end of the Monday Night War, so there wasn't exactly competition to go to. So this person, you know, where does a person go after, you know, from, uh, having made your name as this persona in this career, in this industry at that point? Um so, you know, kind of tells you the story of like her going to Japan. I was actually surprised at the amount of coverage that they got talking to Anoki, talking to Chono. Uh, they talked to like pretty much like, you know, several principal actors that they had access to. The Paul, there's like a clip from Paula Beck as well, which I wasn't sure if it was specifically shot for this or if it was from some other archival, you know, um, footage. Well, there was the Paula Beck. Uh, it's, it's literally one clip of him where it appears to be an original interview for this. And, this is not kind of like the stylized um, WWF content. Like this is full on like WWE footage throughout this, which again, there are ways to get around that. It's not to say uh, WWE licensed the, the footage out here, uh, but I mean, there's no shortage of WWE footage. And um, so that was notable, um, you Sean know, with Walton. the, yeah. I mean, some of the people interviewed included uh, Sean Waltman and it just seemed like they were both were, in extremely bad ways in their lives. And it just seemed like coming together was terrible for both of them. Um, they briefly talked about the sex tape that came out with the two of them. I mean, they did not shy away from her porn career that again, it seemed like it really did affect her when Hunter went on Austin's podcast stating, you know, one of the reasons they can't put her in the hall of fame is the risk of young children, Googling China, Joni Lauer and what they'll come upon. And I just, I number one, I I do think I agreed with Mick Foley here that he kind of told China like stop putting so much weight on the WWE Hall of Fame like it's not the defining goal for your life. At the same time, like I think that just the way she was portrayed for committing the unforgivable sin of participating in pornography, I think that's more just an indictment of what society views as just such a taboo that I find to be just ridiculous that that's somehow um, disqualifying. Um, but nonetheless, like it had a great impact on her and you could see like she was very much driven by just trying to get back into WWE in any form or fashion. But I think that you also have to look at beyond that. Okay. Had she gotten the hall of fame treatment and comes back for that one night, then what, what, what is next? It seems like it's often you put goals ahead of yourselves that are going to be fleeting, that momentarily it's you're back on a big stage, but then it's on to the next thing. It's not like she was going to be coming back and it's suddenly 1999 again. So I, th I just think she was someone chasing this part of her life that was not going to come back and and drugs became a substitute for that. Yeah, yeah, really um, tragic story to see play out. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't until after death where I think you got this new narrative of somebody who really felt like a victim throughout this entire, you know, last several years of her, well, last decade of her life. Um, and maybe it took something like this to be able to put all that into perspective. I thought Mick Foley was excellent. I mean, he was just um, someone that had such a genuine concern for her. I also, I also thought that, that Vince Russo came off very well in this documentary. This was not Vince Russo with any kind of shtick. It just came across like a, a person that was genuinely concerned about his friend and was greatly impacted by what happened to her. I, I thought both of them uh, came off very well. 
Uh, in terms of the other, like Sean Waltman, he's in it, but it's very brief for the time period that it's it's a very quick amount. And then you have kind of some supporting voices from wrestling like Kevin Nash and Billy Gunn that kind of they were they knew her by association. And Billy Gunn obviously involved uh, through DX, but I, I wouldn't say they were um, heavily leaned upon in this. I would say the key wrestling figures in this are Mick Foley and Vince Russo that had the closest relationship to her throughout her whole um, life up until the end. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That was the, uh, the documentary. And I guess now the, um, the kind of end of documentary season, there's been a lot that we have gone through over the past uh, six weeks or so, but uh, I, I would, I would recommend checking it out. It's not a very comfortable watch at times. And I think, you know, there are points you just feel, um, yeah, you, you feel a lot of sympathy, I think, for, for Joni Lauer and especially towards the end where it just seemed this this documentary uh, film crew, it was just the last thing she needed, but it was all she had. It was th- these people seemed to be the only people left in her circle. Um, it was very unfortunate. All right. I think that is going to bring an end to everything. So one last thing here. Final things. Yeah. Sunday. It is Father's Day. And what better way to celebrate Father's Day than with the brand new dad hat from store.postwrestling.com. A lot of you guys have actually asked for this, and I I didn't know how popular th- these would be until I actually put them up. Because we've already so- sold a few of them. Store.postwrestling.com are brand new uh, curved brim hats at the store. So grab yourself one or grab one for somebody that you know. Looking forward to it. I think I will be getting a dad hat. Mm-hmm. They look very yeah. nice way. So check those out at store.postwrestling.com. Way and I will be back in a couple of hours, midnight Eastern, live for all cafe members. Um, I may be in a very different state come midnight. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. That's that's going to be part of the intrigue. But uh, Way will carry me if he has to. Uh, we will review Dynamite, SmackDown, and then open up the phone line. So all members at postwrestlingcafe.com have live access as well as to the podcast version that will be available after we sign off. So that is it. Goodbye. That's the end of the double shot.